It's time we talked about domestic violence and how it's affecting our lives. Because it's much too hot, let's stop it from destroying our lives. Adversary to now line. Adversary to now line. and intimate partner violence in an effort to figure out why this persists and this type of violence persists against women and children. I'm your host, James Walker. Let's get right to this week's guest. My name is Nicholas Diaz. Uh, I'm a student at Eastern Connecticut State University. Um, I'm majoring in criminal, criminal, uh, criminology and sociology. I'm a double major. Uh, I'm president of the organization Males at Eastern. Um, and I hold, I do a bunch of different other stuff, volunteer work, stuff like that with Eastern. Okay, now I know that you recently attended the Alicia Wiley um, intimate partner uh, relationship event, which is um, which campaigns against uh, uh, intimate uh, partner violence. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so um, the first year they held it, I wasn't able to attend, um, but this year I really wanted to attend and. Uh, I finally was able to eat, meet uh, Karina Martin, who is one of the organizers of the event. And, you know, I went there uh, with high hopes. I thought it was a really good experience just to raise awareness about domestic violence, intimate partner violence. Um, and then I attended a group, um, with, I believe the guy was from the Rhode Island Coalition Against Domestic Violence, um, talking about like, toxic masculinity and the role men play in uh, advocating for women um, and how, like, the th- what we can do in order to to make this less of an issue, because obviously it's it's such a prevalent issue now. It's it's, it's a huge issue now, and actually, that's uh, when Karina and I talk. That's why we want to put this uh, podcast together because men are not talking about it, at least not with each other. And so, you know, the whole point is to turn men from that toxic masculinity and make them adversaries instead of, uh, I'm sorry, make them allies instead of um, adversaries. But in talking with other guys at your school, are they concerned with domestic violence or is domestic violence not something, you know, that is at the top of their, you know, list on things they talk about? Um, I think domestic violence particularly isn't necessarily at the top of their list, but issue, like issues that um, lead to domestic violence are. So I think toxic masculinity is something we talk about a lot, um, especially at Eastern. We do talk about toxic masculinity. Um, now, why don't you tell us what you, what you mean when you say toxic masculinity? What do, you, what do you mean when you say that? So toxic masculinity, or at least my understanding of it, is you know, that sort of, you're supposed to be very stoic. You're supposed to be I'm almost emotionless, the breadwinner. You're supposed to be the provider. Um, you're supposed to sort of be the man's man, I guess. Right. Um, it has it has its issues. And I think um, as as men, we are raised to be tough, particularly um, for um, 
people in the black and brown communities, we're raised to be tough. You know, our fathers told us, you know, don't cry. You know, crying is for girls. You're a boy. Stop crying. And you're not yep. supposed to show emotion. You're not. You're supposed to just take it all, take it all in and just accept it. And one of the ways this comes out in anger is in domestic violence. So what do you have to say about this toxic toxic masculinity? Because it doesn't seem to be the way a lot of young men are today. They're kind of turning away from being that alleged superhero of the of the world, Superman of the world. Yeah, definitely. So I think uh, toxic masculinity is, I'm not going to say it's a thing of the past. It still happens, definitely. Um, but I feel like we're definitely in a much more fluid, uh, I guess, gendered environment. Um, you see men being able to express their emotions more, being able to go to other men and be vulnerable. Um, and perhaps like generations before us, you didn't see that men kept things inside. Um, I think also that men now feel like they have a support system. I feel like men, uh, I don't want to say back in the day because it was before my time, but uh, <laughs> not before mine. And we did not. You're right. <laughs> so, you um, so I think um, before my time, uh, men didn't have that support system to really discuss issues. Um, although that'd be in, in the home life and work, um, there was no really, there wasn't a place for men's voices to talk about uh, emotion. There was, there was kind of a, a lack of respect, I guess, when, when talking about that sort of stuff, you, people who seem like to be viewed less masculine. Um, if you less have to manly, less attractive yeah. to, to others. Yes, it is. It's, it's, and you can see that right down. Um, it is prevalent throughout the United States. If you see if the, when the president held his head down and seemed to get a little emotional. And I think I, I forget the exact incident was over. He got lambasted, you know, um, for, for being emotional. And, and, and I'm really not sure why it's not as if men don't have emotions that we don't have feelings and that, you know, and it's, but when you are raised that way, it's kind of hard to step forward and work your feelings out because again, you've been raised just like the men you are talking to, to be tough and, you know, maybe to cry or break down makes you appear weak. It's why men don't kind of comfort each other, so to speak, when, you know, when they are crying. Now, I know that you're of, um, you're a mixed race, you're Italian and um, Hispanic. And so, are, and do you see any changes um, in the, in, in any, either um, of your cultures that, um, you know, since, I will say over the last 10 years, has, has things changed there, you think? So my Puerto Rican background, I'm not as in touch with it. Um, it's a long story, but single parent, I wasn't really in touch with my father. Um, so I'm not too in tune with how domestic violence is viewed um, through the lens of like Puerto Rican culture. Through the, through the lens of Italian culture, um, it's completely looked down upon now. I mean, um, I think some of the traditional values are still there. Um like gender roles and stuff like that. But I, I believe it's much more, uh, it's much more inclusive, I guess. Um, and no, uh, domestic violence is, is looked down upon um, from everyone that I've talked to. Why do you think when I was coming up, it was, and I, and I mean this sincerely, you would hear 
women screaming. Men used to, I, I was raised my first uh, 10, 11 years in a project and you could hear women's, their heads being hit against walls and so forth. And yet no one, no one stopped. It was mind your own business. And I know that when my parents went into court, I, I never forget the judge told my mother the reason for my, but the reason why my father beat her was because of the pressures he felt at being the breadwinner and having to put food on the table to feed to feed the family. I, you know, to me, that's a bunch of crap. But essentially, supposedly, that was it. Do you think um, these type of pressures is what is creating these chaotic scenes with some of these men? Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a bunch of BS as far <laughs> yeah. as as far as uh, pressures because. I mean, as a student, I face pressures every day. As a, a podcast host, uh, you experience pressures. Uh, fathers experience pressures. Mothers experience pressure. Men all over the spectrum, uh, they're all victims to pressure, I guess. But it's just a matter of, I think a lot of people don't know how to cope with their, their stresses um, and past traumas. And in turn, I think they, I think they lash out on on others, whether that be the family unit, um, you know, other others to care about. And it, you know, to me, it's really, it's it's really strange because some of these men, I mean, they do the most outrageous acts, you know, um, to their family and the people that they supposedly love. I mean, I know you've read about the guy who just opened fire and just shot his wife dead in front of his kids. And this seems to happen a lot, you know, the man who threw the baby off the bridge. I mean, so this is more than just anger. And I, um, what, is your, what are your thoughts about mental health services? I'm not sure if um, at the university where you go, but are there mental health services um, available to um, younger people who are experiencing or expressing anger? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we have CAPS at the university, which is a it's like the Center for Psychological Services, um, essentially like counseling, stuff like that. Um, but no, they do a great job um, as far as being able to walk through. I haven't personally gone through CAPS, but I know people who have. Um, and they said it's been a pretty good experience. But I think overall mental mental health services are lacking right now. I mean, we're just coming out of COVID. And I think, I mean, we were stuck in, stuck inside for 18 months, if not longer. Um you know, I, I, I don't think we've even seen a fraction of uh, the repercussions of COVID uh, as a societal issue. Um, and I don't think we will for 20 years. Or yeah, so. yeah, I know. It, it, everything that's happening now, we will experience or the younger people experience 10, 20 years from now. Now, I do know that um, I, 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 you, you were raised by a single mother. Do you, do you uh, guys ever talk about uh, domestic violence? Do you, do, have you ever spoken to her about domestic violence? Yeah, so the the conversation shifted as I got older. So when, it was, when I was younger, my mom was always like, uh, she never she would never really go into detail about what domestic violence was, but she always said like, you have to respect people. Um, you respect everybody the same. Doesn't matter if they're mean to you, if they're not, if they're, if they're mean to you, you say your goodbyes and don't talk to them. Um, and then as, as we got older, the, the 
the tone changed very much so. She started telling me about some of her experiences. We're going to take a break here real quick, and I want to remind people that Adversary to Ally is a partnership between Real Talk, Real People, and Karina Martin, the founder of Mothers of Victims Equality. We got to listen. Mothers of Victims Equality. Surprisingly, despite the differences in our ages, we both experienced the same type of problem or system, I should say, when our mothers began to date again. When I was 16, I was just coming out of high school. Or no, not just coming out of high school. I was just in the middle of high school. Um, she started in the dating realm again, like online dating. And I've, I've personally never been in the online dating uh, realm, so I didn't really know how much it worked. Um, and I remember vividly, there was a few times that she would go out, meet these guys, come home, kind of fr not frightened, but, you know, little uh, something was off. I just I know my mother, something was off. And so we developed a system where every time she was going on a date, she she called me, let me know. She'd leave a, a post-it note, name, phone number, address, <laughs> where it's supposed to be, car, color of the car, like the whole nine yards. Right. Um you know, when I was 16, uh, I didn't know. It's weird looking at retrospect, like I, that piece of paper. Right. I mean, it seems kind of like a, a dumb thing. But looking back, that that if something did go wrong, that could have saved my mother's life. So, Right. You understood why she, why she was doing it. It was the same thing when I was growing up. When, and I was about the same age when my mother started to um, attempt to go out and date. And I do know at one time uh, she, told, she told us that... Um, she she said to her date, um, I'm going to use the ladies' room. And she literally um, left the restaurant, jumped in the cab, and came home. And there were just things he said to her that uh, just made her very, very uneasy. And I think, uh, for, I think one of the major um, problems here is that men don't, or I should say some men don't look on women as their partners. They look on them as objects. Um, um, they're still in that when a woman walks down the street and they're like the construction worker whistling and so forth and so on, they still think in that vein. Uh, why is it that you think that men don't look on women as their partners? I think it's uh, or something. I, I think it's this generational thing. Um, you know, back even before your time, women, men were supposed to be the breadwinners, bring home the money, bring home food, all that. Women were more in like domestic roles. Uh, uh, the cooking, the cleaning, the taking care of the children, nature of nurture, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that passes down to the children. So the children see that they're like, oh yeah, mom did this, dad did this. So I'm going to be like, if it's a son, I'm going to be like dad. I want to go get a job, do this. If it's a daughter, I want to be like mom, I want to cook, I want to clean. Um, right. And I think that that changed. I'm not going to say recently, but definitely probably like the 1980s to 19 or 2000, honestly, um, you're starting to see women be more career based. They want to go working um, specifically in like STEM fields. Um, men want to be working as well. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a new term kind of going around the, the stay at home dad. Right. Which is, it's kind of the weird, weird. I mean, I don't know if it's new, but it's new to me, but 
you know, it's something I never really thought about. You always hear stay home mom. You want to have the mom stay home, be with the kids. Dad's going to go work 40, 50, 60 hours a week Mm -hmm. at wherever they work and do the thing. But I I think it's really a generational thing. And, uh, but I think it's slowly changing. And I think probably over my lifetime, hopefully we'll see a little bit of a difference. Well, you know, it's actually, uh, I've been around long enough to have witnessed that change. It actually started during the late 60s, early 70s. Um, we, we had this whole feminist movement. And quite frankly, I was I was thrilled because I and I think a whole lot of other men were thrilled, too, because we didn't have to be supermen. And that's what we were raised to be is supermen, even though we're not even close to, <laughs> to being that. You know, that's what you were expected, expected to be. So I, I, I have seen that change um, come across. I've noticed that in some of the literature and so, stuff I've been reading, they've been giving suggestions as to what people should do um, and what um, changes that can be made. One of the changes that they're suggesting is that we have a better judicial system. So when um, these, vi- and we don't let these violent men out of prison and that we pay, put more attention on them once a, order has been filed, um, you know, to keep them away from their, from their spouse. Do you agree that we need tougher laws there? That's a tough situation because, I mean, we talk about having a, a fair criminal justice system, which historically it hasn't been. Um, and we talk about having a, a, like a, not a fair, I'm forgetting the word, I'm blanking on the word, but you can't, you, in our justice system, you don't just want to lock somebody up and throw away the key. You want to be able to sort of have, um, it's called the Department of Corrections. It's supposed to correct bad behavior. If it really does that, I mean, that's that's above my pay grade. But Well, um, we all know the Department of Corrections does not exist to, co- you know, co- correct people. We They exist <laughs> so they can get definitely. paid, <laughs> period. Definitely. So I think, um, I think going back to your question, um, I mean, I think laws need to be put into place where men can be held accountable for their actions. I think um, victim rights need to be looked at definitely because the victim rights list is a fraction of what the rights of uh, the abuser, the the uh, the the primary aggressor is. And uh, I think that needs to be addressed definitely because there's no reason a woman should have to be should have to fear. I'm saying woman because in most of these cases it, it is men. In most of these cases it is men, right? Um, it is men abusing women. So I think there's no reason why women need to fear in, in a courtroom when when their person when their uh, abusers being held accountable. But unfortunately, that's the case. Are you surprised that there aren't more um, places or spaces where men can go and talk about this or get the um, help that they need? Should they seek it out? Because most men won't seek it out. You know, let's... I think, I think um, if my four years at college has taught me anything, it's definitely been um, like I have, you have to be more aware of who you are as a person. So like I'm like I'm in my senior year now. I'm about to graduate in May. I know what, where my strengths and weaknesses lie within like social issues. So I know that like, if I feel frustrated, I need to go talk to somebody, whether it be my girlfriend, whether it be my mom, whether it be um, my support system. And so I think now for me personally, I've never seeked out like professional uh, counseling, but I think in some of these circumstances, uh, especially with men 
you know, doing some of these heinous acts, they need to, there, there should be some sort of strict counseling that they can see. Um, or sort of, there needs to be like, there's, there has to be precursors to what these men are doing. Um, right. And when people identify these precursors, there should be uh, action steps to, to minimize the damage. So as someone who is studying criminology, let's say you're out of school, five years now, you've got experience under your belt. What would you like to see or what would your recommendations be for situations where domestic violence is prevalent? My recommendations? Yeah. What would your recommendations be? Or what would you like, what would you like to see? Just hypothetically, what would you what what would you like to see um, done to help correct this domestic violence situation? What would you like to see done? I would like to see um, mental health counseling become much more prevalent in the field. Um, and rec- and having officers uh the court system, corrections, all be well aware of like the mental health issues that go on in society, especially after COVID. Um, like we don't, we don't, we don't know the scale of COVID as far as mental health issues. Right. Um, so I think in five years we should hopefully have an idea of the impacts of, uh, or the repercussions of COVID in the mental health uh, setting. I would also like to see um, some sort of restorative justice done for the abuser, maybe obviously not in the sense that they, they should get back together with uh, the victim. I mean, that's up to the victim, but there needs to be uh, the thing I'm thinking about right now is I remember reading about the Rwandan genocide and it's very, very left field right now, but it'll, it'll come back into play. The Rwandan genocide, it happened horrible, horrible, horrible. I remember, um, Years after that, there was um, a YouTube clip of a woman that survived the Rwandan genocide, and she met with one of the men that killed like a bunch of people in her family. And they had this like very honest conversation, and she was like, "I'll forgive, I can forgive you, but I will never forget what you did to my family." And I think I think this needs to be addressed in a, in a, in domestic violence situations. Because some, quite frankly, some of the, some of these men that are committing these acts are, it's almost like killing a soul. Uh, essentially, right. I mean, you traumatize them so badly that they can't love, they can't feel emotionally, uh, can't support themselves. Um, you know, it's horrible. So I'd like to see some sort of restorative justice done um, for the victims. Uh, Whether that be just a simple sit down talk that's monitored between like uh i don't really know how it'd be monitored to be quite front to be quite frank is I the think victim in the perpetrator and the person yeah that i think them? as long as it's as long as it's uh like a mutual feeling if they want to sit down together um and just being able to talk about the issues that went on in their relationship whether that, if whether it's um whether they get back together or not i think that's a that's their decision um but i think it needs to be addressed that if someone hits, if a man hits a woman, the man needs to be held accountable legally. Uh, and it should be within his moral, moral and ethic guides, I guess, to, to want to apologize to the woman for, for doing some of the heinous acts. Now, not all, all domestic violence is physical. A lot of it is, but I mean, 
you see domestic violence where children are involved or financials are involved. That's correct. Um, and so I think there needs to be some sort of, uh, some sort of action done to, to, I'm trying to think of the word. Um, reconciliation between the two. Yeah. Recon- reconciliation in order to reconcile with their actions. Um, and yeah, I think, I think reconciliation is, is a huge part of that because, you know, these, some of these women, they'll, they'll never live, live down those experiences. And to, if you damage a person like that, the least you can do is explain why. I doubt very seriously if these men know why. Oh, I think all they know is that you're not doing, because actually, quite frankly, they killed for, I've heard the um, woman being killed because she didn't want to um, give up her stimulus check. That she was murdered because she didn't want to give up the stimulus check, you know, where which was needed to buy food, of course. But so I just think I'm not sure exactly what needs to, what needs to be done. I do know that we are at a very crucial point because it's just getting wor- wor- um, worse, particularly in black and brown, low income uh, communities. It is it is just bad. I think last year, in fact, I know last year, um, and here in Connecticut. More than 40,000 people requested help from violence from their um, intimate partner. That's a heck of a lot of people in a small state like Connecticut. So maybe hopefully conversations like this will um, open doors, maybe get some other guys to uh, rethink their actions. Um, Any final words from you? Uh, I definitely think that... um you know, we have to have hope as a, as a society in, in order to get better. Obviously it's a very pressing issue right. with, uh, with COVID going on. It's still going on with the new Om- Omicron uh, variant. There'll be another one after that. Yeah. Who knows? We might end up in lockdown again and then, you know, it starts to cycle all over again. So I think making uh, organizations, making, uh, the government, the local government, state government, aware of the issues that, that are facing Connecticut, individual towns, um, individual populations. Like you said, the black and brown community are suffering um, at high, significantly higher rates than most other uh, communities. So just making them aware and starting starting a conversation and giving a, giving a, a voice to people who uh, might not have one.